Hey you, good afternoon and welcome to Monday's Richie Allen Radio Show. It's me, Richie Allen, the BBG, live from BBG Towers in Salford. I hope you had a nice weekend. I really hope you did. And thanks for finding me. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. Again, I should have said, yeah. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. I read a fairly disturbing story in The Guardian today, right? And it's about freedom of information requests put in by The Guardian. It sent FOI requests to police forces in England, Wales and Northern Ireland. And what came back was that in some regions, the majority of people identified by police as watching or sharing indecent images of children are actually under 18. That's horrifying. Thousands of UK young people caught watching online child abuse images. Why? What's going on there? I've invited an old friend back to the programme. The lovely Marilyn Hawes will be with me. Freedom Abuse UK from, excuse me, she is the founder of Freedom From Abuse UK. That's freedom-abuse.uk. Don't miss Marilyn this hour. And a bit later on, we'll be chatting again to Melissa Shumay. I invited Melissa on to kind of do a kind of a State of the Union chat about uh, kind of a general chat about what's going on at the moment and how it feeds into the agendas, the Great Reset Agenda, Agenda 2030. Melissa is terrific. She'll join me a little bit later on in the programme. That's Monday's programme. And as usual, your comments are welcome. Send them to me even. Uh, The website, richieallen.co.uk. There is an app. Download the app. Send the messages straight to me. Straight to me. Before I go anywhere, before I go anywhere, I want to thank Mark Bajerski for fundraising for the Richie Allen Show again and doing an unbelievable job. Um, He doesn't ask for anything in return for doing it. He does it of his own volition. And it is unbelievably appreciated by you and by me. And he's fantastic. And I thank him for that. Do check him out at markbyerski.com. He didn't ask for that either. And he's got a wonderful YouTube channel. There's only one Mark Bajerski. So thanks to him for that. Thank you, Mark. I have a feeling you might be listening. Smirking. Because uh, it's freezing here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is actually very cold here I keep the studio nice and cold Come here to tell you Are you flying Ryanair this Christmas By any chance Are you lucky enough To be travelling To meet loved ones Somewhere this Christmas He's some bio That Michael O'Leary eh? He's some operator eh? Isn't he uh, BBC reporting this afternoon That passengers claim That Ryanair has come up with a Quote scandalous new extra fee after they were charged to get their boarding passes online. (laughs) Charged to get your boarding passes online. Unhappy travellers have taken to social media to express their frustration, saying they were required to pay up to £21 for a seat booking in order to access an e-boarding pass. Hilarious. The alternative was to queue for a paper pass at the airport the BBC asked Ryanair for a comment Ryanair didn't give it any comment no comment as of yet from Ryanair it's unclear how many passengers have faced this new charge but it is absolutely well it's it's brazen isn't it <laughs> paid £21 for an e-boarding pass with Ryanair oh we used to laugh back in the day we used to laugh because I was starting out in radio when these low fare airlines came into being like Ryanair and we knew we knew in the newsroom 
at WLRFM in Waterford. We knew it was a load of old bollocks. We knew. Fly to Paris for £9. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Until you introduce your getting onto the aeroplane levy. Well, hang on a second. I bought a ticket. Yes, but now you've got to pay £46 to get on the aeroplane. <laughs> you know? Ah, Michael O'Leary. One of Ireland's greatest exports. Maybe not, but yeah. Indignant comments coming in about Ryanair on Twitter. This stuff really does make me laugh, you know. When and why did you start this carry-on, said one Twitter person. Has to be Irish. Nobody else uses the term carry-on except the Irish. (laughs) Why did you start this carry-on, eh? I now have to queue to collect my boarding pass at the airport, said one traveller. Yes, Ryanair. Carry on, carry on, you langer, Ryanair, you langer. Ryanair made me laugh. I flew to, I the first trip I ever took with my missus together was we were in Waterford not long after we met up and the missus said to me, shall we go to France to meet my family? Now, every bloke dreads that. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, who you're with, you dread it. You don't want to be doing that, right? But yeah, all right, yeah, go on, we'll, 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 uh, how do we get there, says I? Well, she says, I live in Nancy. Nancy, Nancy. Yeah, sure, I know it well, says I. Tony Cascarino used to play up front for Nancy. He used to bang in the goals for them in Ligue 1, in Ligue 1, in France. Top flight kind of a thing. Anyway, says Froggy. Tell you, this is what we're going to do, she says. We're going to fly Ryanair to Paris, and then we'll get a train to Nancy. Now, I should have looked into this because Ryanair to Paris is one of the greatest lies in the history of aviation. It's an astonishing lie. And Ryanair has been getting away with it now for 30 years. What a lie. You fly Ryanair to Paris-Bouvet. What a scam. Fly to Paris with Ryanair for 20 quid to Paris-Bouvet Airport, which is nowhere near Paris at all. Cork is closer to Paris than Paris-Bouvet. You get to Paris-Bouvet, you've got two hours on a bus into Paris city centre to get the train. That's some scam, Michael O'Leary. What a buy. What a boy. Flight to Paris with Ryanair and we'll drop you in the middle of fucking nowhere. So Froggy is flying to France next week. I'm not sure which airline she's travelling with. She's going back home to see the family. She's travelling in coach, of course. Only I fly business. Froggy goes coach. I'd put her in the hold if it had saved me a few quid. And they'd allow me. I'd put her in the hold. And I'd pick her up at baggage reclaim. A little depressed looking French woman coming out on the conveyor belt. Would be worth a few pictures for Twitter, wouldn't it? Anyway, Paris Beauvais. Is that what it is? Paris Beauvais. Yes, yeah, nowhere near Paris. You might as well fly to Timbuktu and get a bus to Paris. Let's talk about something more serious. It's coming up for seven minutes past the hour. Uh, the Israeli army is pushing south. And what it's doing is, now I have to say, preface my remarks by saying, what you're about to hear is my opinion I have long been a critic of the Israeli government and a supporter of the Palestinian people. In fact, I despise the Israeli government and all of its predecessors. I hate them. And you shouldn't hate anything. Not to be confused with Israeli people or Jewish people who don't live in Israel. They're governments. But I hate the governments of the West even more. And I'll tell you why in a minute. So the Israeli army is pushing south and it's murdering Palestinians who are fleeing south as they were ordered to by the Israeli army. Figure that one out. Go south to avoid the bombing. Then we'll bomb the shit out of you anyway. 16,000 people dead now, half of them children, dead. It's a genocide. Go south. And when you get there, we'll kill you. And the governments in that region, but more so Western governments, as I've already said, are to blame. Yes, I'm nothing if I'm not, you know, consistent. 
this would stop tomorrow if the West stopped funding Israel and punished it um, the way it would punish any other rogue actor a term they use all the time, speaking about other countries around the world where crimes are committed against people. But Israel gets a pass. And that's why I mean it. And I've said this before in interviewing people like Kevin Barrett and others. I blame this country, my own country across the Irish Sea, the United States, France, for putting up with it and for allowing it. It's disgusting. A woman, a teacher called into James O'Brien's LBC radio show, Don't Panic, you won't hear very much of him at all. A teacher told him that teachers must keep quiet about gas or if they feel compelled to say anything at all, they must push the mainstream media narrative. Isn't that interesting? Let's have a listen to the teacher who is not named on LBC today. I'm concerned about the impact of all of this you know, what we're seeing in the mainstream media and, and the line that we are told to tell. I'm a teacher, you see, so yes. um, I have to be uh, politically objective. And so yes. I really need to give an opinion that is the mainstream opinion, really, right. children ask. Uh, and so I find it quite difficult because I, I teach in school, like many other teachers do, and we've got such a, a mixed demographic. I've got children from all over the world that I teach, um, and they will ask me questions and they will want to talk about them. Some of them are visibly... Uh, upset. Some of them have family uh, in Palestine. Um, some of them have family in other Arab nations as well. And, and I just feel like it's a very, very challenging situation. And I feel like we are going to end up on the wrong side of history if we are telling our young people that Israel has the right to defend itself. Full stop. Well, that uh, I was going to ask you. At what cost? You, at to, what cost yeah. you know. <laughs> so there agree, is, there is. It is impossible <laughs> for Israel to go too far. Is is the perception yeah. you just described? Uh, People and who that's believe what it feels that like to the yeah. children, especially that I mean, they see that and they see it on the news and 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 they hear reports from back home and and you know and, and then what they're seeing on the news here doesn't always reflect you know what they're hearing from back home as well, and it's kind of you know what why aren't we doing more as a country? Why aren't we helping their family? Why aren't we stopping this? Why aren't we doing something? And it's you know. Again, I, I have to stay politically neutral and try to, I don't know, move the conversation along. And, I, and, it, and it saddens me because, obviously, I, I agree with everything you've said and I want to say all of that out loud. But, uh, unfortunately, I'm not really in a position to do that. Imagine that. We can speak if we push the mainstream narrative. Well, there, there's a way to, to circumvent this. One of the things you can do is, if the children are amenable to it, and if their parents are amenable to it, teach them the absolute truth, the objective facts about how Israel came into being. Just do that. And then maybe don't. It depends on how old the children are. You don't want to be traumatising children, of course. But if it's teenagers, teach them how Israel came into being. The farcical way Israel came into being. Teach them about the Nakba. But objectively. Keep your own opinions out of it. Teach them the objective facts, even those that are accepted by historians right across the world, the objective facts. And then the children might, might maybe might want to take it a bit further. It's interesting, isn't it? Over the weekend, a number of papers reported that, that, that classes, that quite a number of children, thousands of children, in fact, in the UK, have skipped classes in the last week or so to protest against what's going on in Gaza. I find that interesting. I can't say any more than that about Israel today. I took a bit of flack over the weekend. People said to me, you didn't spend much time on Israel and Palestine last week. Why not, Richie? What is there to say that hasn't been said before? I've been talking about it ever since I got my start in radio. 
you know, from my days in Spain, my days on television in London to the present day, I've been, I don't want to say calling out because I'm a journalist, not an activist, but I've been speaking about the crimes of the Israeli governments. What else can we do about it? This government doesn't give a damn. It's completely and utterly enthralled to the Israeli regime, as is the United States, although some of our friends would argue it's the contrary, that Israel is the fiefdom of the United States. I don't buy that for a minute. I can't say any more about it. It's horrible what's happening there. It's beyond my comprehension because I've never lived through anything like that. I told you, and I wasn't trying to be flippant or silly. I was in the Lake District last year with my missus and I did, we didn't know that RAF, the RAF were doing exercises there and fighter jets flew around about a couple of hundred feet over our heads and I absolutely shit myself. I mean, I really did. And it was only when we were getting back to the car that it dawned on me. I got a fright because of the loud noise and I thought to myself, imagine if you were in Baghdad. Imagine if you were in Kabul. Imagine if you were in Tripoli and they're flying overhead like that but they're actually dropping bombs in marketplaces and on street corners. I can't imagine what it's like. Israel is destroying Gaza to ensure that nobody can possibly live there. That will take years to rebuild it. They're forcing people out of the country through Egypt and then they want to control Gaza itself. It's ethnic cleansing. It's genocide. Some people are calling it a holocaust. Well, they've bombed, they've machine gunned and burned the Palestinians out of their own homes. Yeah, you can use the term holocaust if you like. Right? And, and the propaganda is hilarious. They're claiming today, the Israeli government, that Hamas raped men on October 7th too. If you don't believe me, check out the Telegraph, check out the Mail Online. Their latest lie is that Hamas were raping men. We know they weren't beheading babies. We know this. That was an absolute humdinger of a lie. Now they're saying men. Why? Why are they doing that? Because of what I've just said a moment ago. Because they are committing the most unimaginable crimes against Palestinians. So how do we justify that? Well, we tell whoppers when we take to the press conference stage, when we face Western media journalists, journalists, we use the term loosely, whoppers. Anyway, I can't say any more. Well, I'll say this, Paul Lay, Paul is a, an orthopaedic surgeon at the European Hospital in Khan Yunus, and he told the BBC World Services News Hour today, it's chaotic, we can't absorb any more patients, and they just keep coming. Yeah. It's nearly quarter past the hour of four o'clock. Right. Speaking of demonic, right? Flu jab in Ireland. I'm sorry about the quality of the audio you were about to hear. I couldn't clean I didn't have time to clean it up. It's the broadcaster's fault, not mine. I recorded this directly from RTE. This is Radio Telefisher in the Irish National Broadcaster, its flagship morning radio programme, talking about the flu jab for kiddies, again speaking of demonic. The flu vaccine is available from today to teenagers, bringing the rollout now to children between 2 and 17. The service is free through GPs, pharmacies and to some groups of children in specialist primary schools. Dr Aparna Keegan is a specialist in public health medicine and HSE National Immunisation of uh, Flu Lead. Uh, she's on the line and good morning to you. Right, this woman is a doctor and she works for Ireland's Health Service Executive. So it's basically the, the NHS, right? And she's on to promote giving the flu jab to kiddies. Aparna Keegan is her name. 
morning. So why is the vaccine being extended now to, to all children from the age of two right up to uh, just when they turn their the, turn 18? It's a shocking question that. Well, you might say it's an OK question. It should be followed up by when we know that flu is relatively harmless for children, but she doesn't say that. So we're actually expecting an increase in the winter viruses. So in anticipation of that and also the intermingling that we're expecting at Christmas, we're asking all parents to protect their children as soon as possible. Imagine that, she said, we're expecting a particularly heavy flu season. She's, she's not asked for any evidence to support that. And then she says, because of the mingling, because the increase in mingling, at Christmas, imagine. And hence why we're also extending it to all children aged 2 to 17. 2 to 17. Now again, the presenter should come in and say, but children are not really susceptible to the flu, so why offer this job to every child in the country? That's what the presenter should say. And what are you advising them to do? She's useless, isn't she? So get the nasal flu vaccine as soon as you can. It's available at your local GPs and pharmacies. And you can get more information at hse.ae forward slash flu. We're also offering it to some children in um, primary age special schools and also uh, you know, senior infants in the mainstream schools as well. So if the HSE teams are offering it vaccines through there to avail of the offer there, but the majority of the children will be able to get it at their GP and pharmacies. And if you go to hse.ie forward slash flu, you'll be able to find a local pharmacy near you that's offering the free HSE flu vaccine. Right. Another opportunity for the presenter to say, but children don't need a flu jab, do they? Really? Is it a simple procedure? Can you describe how, how a, a, a nasal vaccine, but how it's administered? What a useless bastard the presenter is. What a useless bastard. Absolutely useless. Lost with all hands. Inept. Completely incapable of doing her job. Now she's asking her about how it's administered instead of asking why is it being administered? Absolutely. So not only is it a safe vaccine, but it's also an effective vaccine. And it's also really simple because... I would have interrupted her there when she said an effective vaccine. Because I would have said, isn't it true that the flu vaccine has a very poor hit rate? The vaccine itself uh, often doesn't work because it is the wrong strain of flu. I would have asked, I would have put it a little bit better than that. I would have said, isn't it true that the people who create these vaccines, they do so months and months and months ahead of the forthcoming winter. And they make a bet on which strain of flu is going to be the dominant one. And isn't it true that more often than not, they're wrong? I would have said, but then I'm a journalist. Useless. Useless as tits on a bull. These Irish radio presenters. Because it doesn't involve an injection. So it's just a quick spray of the nostril in both nostrils and then you're in and out of there in a couple of minutes, really. Um, and it's so simple and easy. You know, my, mm. my kids have had it and they said, mummy, it just tickles. Mm. So it's a really, you know, pleasant experience for the child as well. Pleasant experience for the child, eh? Well, and it's a really great way of protecting them. But also, you know, children are also likely to spread it to other people as well. So Ah, here we go. We're back to COVID. Don't kill granny. Children are likely to spread it to other people as well, she says. Other people as well. So particularly around Christmas, you know, when you've got grandparents and other risk people. Don't kill granny. Around the children. Have the flu job. And it's important that, you know, the flu vaccine not only protects a child, but also those around them as well. She's a Absolutely. monster. She's a monster, isn't she? This doctor, Aperna Keegan, an absolute monster, should be struck off for disreputable, for dishonourable behaviour should be struck off the medical register in Ireland, shouldn't she?
and shouldn't be allowed to hide behind. Well, I'm only doing what the World Health Organization recommends. No, 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 you don't get to hide behind that. You're a demon. You know the children don't really get the flu. In a minute, she's going to say that 41 kids have died in 10 years in Ireland. And they reckon they died of the flu. So that's four a year. Let's say there's 1.1 or 1.2 million children in Ireland, which there is, look it up. So four a year. So if we say about a million, if we say about a million children, because the population has grown in Ireland in the last 10 years, right? So if we say a million each year, so four out of a million each year is 0.0003%. She's going to get into this now in a minute. So not only is it a safe vaccine, but it's also an effective vaccine. And it's also really simple because it doesn't involve an injection. So it's just a quick spray of the nostril in both nostrils. And then you're in and out of there in a couple of minutes. Really. In and out in a couple of minutes, right. Yeah, but is that the main reason that, that you feel vaccine? Now, now she's gone back to don't kill granny. So the presenter has gone back to, is that the main reason? You know, you need to protect the elderly and the vulnerable. She asks her this. Yeah, but is that the main reason that, that you feel vaccinating the children protects particularly vulnerable older people or people who are immunocompromised? Not really. I mean, you know, that's an, an additional factor, but the main reason why we're offering the flu vaccine... So not really then. So it's not really to protect granny and granddad. So what is the main reason? Vaccine is to protect the child themselves. But the, child's, the child themselves do not need to be protected from flu. It basically washes over children, the flu. It always has done. For example, we saw last year, you know, we had a, you know, quite a bad flu season and we saw nearly 1,200 kids under the age of 14, uh, under the age of 15, sorry, uh, admitted into hospital with flu. So flu is a really serious... That's 1,200 out of 1.2 million. There are 1.2 million children under 16 in Ireland. So that's 1,200 that were admitted to hospital for flu in Ireland out of 1.2 million. Again, do the mathematics. It isn't that difficult. Illness for kids as well. So it's important to remember that, you know, flu can have quite a detrimental impact. It can have a detrimental impact, like? So flu is a really serious illness for kids as well. So it's important to remember that, you know, flu can have quite a detrimental impact. Mm -hmm. And when we looked at the data over a 10-year period, unfortunately, you know, 41 children succumbed to flu as well. Just in case you missed it. Mm -hmm. And when we looked at the data over a 10-year period, Unfortunately, you know, 41 children succumb to flu as well. Four a year, 0.0003% of the child population of Ireland succumb to flu every year in a 10-year period. So it's not really the reason that we need to protect granny and granddad. We're doing it to protect children, but she just says children do not need to be protected from the flu. So what's really going on? What about the uptake? Does the presenter ask about the uptake? You see... Uh, was it 49% of people aged 70 had taken it but then it's down to 18% of those in 50 to 69 uh, and some of that is for COVID but but for flu, uh, the mm. 2 to 12 year olds uh, were at 9.5%. Yeah, so even last year, the uptake in that population was about 15%. And that's why this year we're actually going into schools. So we're offering the vaccine to senior infants in mainstream schools and to all children in primary age special schools. And we know the uptake is much better when we're offered in school. I think one of the reasons is mm. that, you know, obviously parents... Evil this, isn't it? We'll leave it there. It's evil. Aparna Keegan from Ireland's Health Service Executive. It's just purely evil. I can't find another way of describing it. It is sick to try and force a medicine into children that children do not need. 
and it's not convenient for us that um, to, to allow parents to come to the GP because parents are busy. So let's, I tell you what, let's go into the schools where we can catch the children, where the children are effectively trapped for five or six hours a day. Let's do that. Yeah, it's Monday's Richie Allen Show. It's me, Richie Allen, live from BBG Towers here in the heart of Salford. It's nice to be with you. It is the 4th of December, 2023. A little bit later on, Melissa Shumay returns to the programme. Before that, Marilyn Hawes will be with me. She'll be here in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. Right, it's exactly 26 and a half minutes past the hour. David Bowie and Let's Dance on the Richie Allen Show. Just before we welcome Marilyn back to the programme, uh, this in The Guardian today. Serious story, this thousands of UK young people caught watching online child abuse images. Now, a freedom of information request to police forces across England, Wales and Northern Ireland has shown that in some regions, the majority of people identified by police as watching or sharing indecent images of children are under the age of 18. The article quotes a detective chief inspector called Tony Garner. He leads an online child sexual exploitation team based in Worcester. And he said, I've been in policing for 20 years and have been scratching my head the past couple of years about the harm we are seeing. It's scary, he said. As a country, as a society, it feels out of control. Um, I guess this there is a friend of ours. She set up the brilliant charity Freedom from Abuse UK. It's very important. Freedom-abuse.uk. Former teacher herself. Let's welcome back Marilyn Hawes. Hey Marilyn, welcome back. I hope you're well. I'm very well, thank you, Richie. I mean, what a shambles. None, none of this coming is any great surprise to you, but I suppose the thing, the thing that shocked me was that in some regions, it's more than half, so more than half of those trying to access these images are actually under 18. So we're not talking about grubby men in overcoats here. We're talking about children in some cases. Well, also what's happening here, you've got, you've got a few problems going on here. I honestly think it's been, um, it comes from watching pornography. And I think that, uh, does not, I don't know why they do it, but they've got these smartphones. You've got to go right back to the start here. Adults are buying children adult devices. Those adult devices are iPhones, and they're buying it even for their seven-year-olds, blissfully unaware that what these children can actually do. And they're not really particularly interested in learning either. And this isn't just about little schools and little parents living in leafy places of England. Any, any school, and I go all over the country, I've even done an event right for free the other night, two weeks ago, and we had 10 people, 10 people turn up. And the thing was, how many of you are going to buy a device for your seven-year-old at Christmas? At Christmas yeah. Because I kid you not, an awful lot of seven-year-olds have got iPhones, a staggering amount. Now, how do they get into watching porn quite easily? They just have to go on um, Snap Premium. And, and in they go, and they look at sensitive material, and it directs them through to porn hubs. If they put in a face with tears and an image of um, an aubergine, that equals ejaculated penis, and it goes straight through to the porn sites. You've got 10 and 11-year-olds who are now acting out, and it's come through from the Internet Watch Foundation. They think one in four 10-year-olds have watched hard porn. There's no soft porn anymore. What you can't unsee what you see. And one in three 12-year-olds. Now, that ends up then with them becoming desensitized, thinking this sort of behavior is normalized. It isn't. And then they've got the problem of AI. 
And we have now got children, which was last week's gobsmacking news, that children are making AI child abuse images. Children are doing it. Now, hang, hang, hold, hold your horses. We've got till five o'clock. I know you're used to the BBC giving you five minutes. You're on the, Rich, <laughs> you're on the Richie Allen Show. So we have loads of time. I want to go back before we talk about AI. I want to go back to something you said a minute ago, which, which has actually blown my mind. So mum or dad gets the iPhone. Mum or dad thinks I'll set up some sort of parental control on the phone. It'll be difficult for my boy to access this stuff. But you said that children understand that there are emojis and things they can use, which basically g- g- give them a way around the parental controls. Is that right? To get the hard porn. But to be honest, I, I, I wish you were right when you said about people putting parental controls on. You'd be amazed how many parents don't. Why, Marilyn? Why don't they? Uh, because I don't think they even think about it. Parental controls are free. You can download them off Google. And what's one I often recommend is Safer Families. It, it sets the filters. It sets the blocks. It sets who they can uh, contact. It sets when the time is out and it's now going off. And how many parents allow their kids to have these devices in their bedrooms? Most. Most. We've got three and four-year-olds. 35% of three and four-year-olds are accessing smartphones. Why, Marilyn? Is it it anything... Sorry, sorry, is it anything for an easy life? Is that what it is? I mean, life is crazy for most parents. You, you're, you know, you remember the old video recorder. Do you remember? <laughs> I do. Top loading video yeah. recorder. Yeah. You remember? You just chuck the old video in, you know, and that used to be used as a babysitting device. And they, you yeah. know, the kids are upstairs, out the way, and they, you know, the parents are obviously clearly very happy. They don't realise what those kids are doing. I, I, truly, they don't realise. We have got the dreaded webcams you know, which should be completely covered, but you've got children up in their bedrooms that cannot tell you, Richie, the number of phone calls I have had from mums, maybe one or two in the morning, and they've heard their child talking, and they've gone in, and their child, maybe 10 years old, whatever, masturbating at the end of the bed to a webcam. To a webcam. And you've got now the creeps are accessing kids through webcams because six-year-olds have got these phones, seven-year-olds in their bedrooms, and the children are chatting away, not, uh, no, no consideration that this person's a stranger. The problem is, I think, the children think they're safe because this is just a screen, that the person actually isn't in their room. They don't see what's going on beyond that screen. We have got now creeps, paedophilic creeps, that are showing youngsters of six, seven years old adult pornography, yeah, and pictures of it, and they want the children to do this over the webcam. You've got little girls of six, seven years old sticking things up their vagina. And I'm not joking. You've, you've actually heard of a case like that? Oh, God, yes. And, and the instructions, and yes. the instructions well, are coming well, from... Well, some, sorry, Marilyn. And the instructions to the child are coming from some dirtbag who's on a, on a device and he's managed to get some screen time with the kid or he's managed to get into a chat room or something. Is that how it is? Exactly right. Exactly right. Sometimes... Not always. Sometimes they, oh, my webcam's not working sort of thing, you know, that old chestnut. And then they have a voice distorter, so they sound young and little. Sometimes they don't even do that. Sometimes they just go in, um, you know, and start. And the children are just, they don't, I don't think they, you know, you know I've been into prisons, yeah? Yeah. And you know that before COVID, 
And these guys, and they weren't creepy, dirty old men. They were perfectly um, middle-class, white-collar workers, very articulate. You know, they say, and it's true, today's children have lost sight of what a friend and a stranger is, and that's what we rely on, the blurred boundaries. So I will say to the children, right, every single school I go in, hands up, how many of you have accepted that little thing called friend request on your social media? Okay, how many have accepted it? Well, so let's have a let's have a bit of fun here. Let's start with how many of you have got fifty. Now you are talking of seven-year-olds because we start training from year three up. Um, how many have got hundred friend requests you've said yes to? I last week in a school got up to seven-year-olds with four hundred friend requests. And they and just think, and they just accept without even thinking about it. They accept so th- yeah. because they think of it as a sort of competition. Yeah, because and the more think, followers they have, the more popular they are, the more connections. Exactly. Yeah. And I then say, so let's have a little think now. Do you want me to follow you round? I don't know where should we say? I don't know, <laughs> Telford tonight? No. Do you want to follow me? No. Why not? Well, we don't know you. I said, and you know these four hundred people that you're linking up with here. No. Well, then what are they called? Strangers. Absolutely. So homework tonight is you delete them all. Unless your mum and dad, granny, carer, whatever, has sat down with that person and met them, they're a stranger. I'm not saying put your phones away. I would love to. I would love no child under 16 to be able to have an iPhone, frankly. But, you know, that's not going to happen. So what I'm trying to do is just cut down these tendrils that are creaking out of everybody's, you know, cut back and put these absolute safety measures in. You only have a friend request of someone your parents have met. End of. Because you don't know, because once you've let that person in, you've let them into their social media, your social media life. They can watch you through the webcam. And you know, I heard something really, I heard something really, um, it it kind of opened my mind. I, I was listening to an American podcast the other day and the guy said, he, he's much more into the social media than I am, this podcast host. He said, you know, these days I get a lot of phone calls from people, complete strangers. He says, yeah. you, you, know, you know, your phone number is something that you give to your friends or you give to your family. But nowadays, he said, with, with Instagram particularly, he said people can just phone you. So if they follow you on Instagram, you can phone people on Instagram, you can phone, phone people on Facebook. And he said, I'm getting phone calls from complete strangers. And that, that, again, that kind of blew my mind out because I don't use Instagram, I don't use Facebook no, at all. Neither do I, for that yeah. very reason. Yeah, I people can, just, perfect strangers can phone you. Isn't that amazing? I'm, like, we would have grown up on our phone numbers. I'm sure you as a teacher, your phone number would have been next directory. You don't need people ringing you oh, in, in the middle of the night, winding you up, you know. But now it's so easy. I, if, if I wanted to, I could follow a child on Instagram and yeah. phone the child directly using yeah. Instagram to do it. Yeah. I've got to say seven years, you see, this is where the online safety bill, now you see, I have this problem now with AI, with AI coming out, is the online safety bill already... <laughs> already passed its sell-by date. But, you know, the thing is, it it is a parent's best friend, but it doesn't mean the parents can sit back and say the online safety bill is going to do it for us because you have to report if your child has seen abusive images, if they've seen a man or a woman's private parts, yeah? And you have to call that in and refer it in. I've got a whole document on how parents can now work with the online safety bill. I've done it. I've looked at all the stuff and I've created a document and given all the plaudits to everybody that's done it. But I've made it so that mum and dad can like read a one page document rather than the 140 that I had to read through, you yeah, know. 
Um, but this is, it, they, they can, it is frightening. And the kids don't understand about the algorithms either. But they don't understand that after two or three clicks, the algorithm for that platform starts thinking, oh, you're interested in this, are you? To say I'm 10 years old and my friend is self-harming, and I kid you not, I have calls every week from 10-year-olds that are self-harming, yeah, from the parents. And so say I'm now a little girl and I don't know what all this means. So I go on my phone and I click in, oh, self-harming, yeah? And, oh, then mum calls me for tea, so I don't bother. So I go back again later. But you've got to do it about three times. And I will be inundated with stuff on self-harming, suicidal thoughts for the next six weeks. Now, the online safety bill has said this has got to stop. Now, I understand there was a website called Omegle, and that has now gone because of all the content of men showing their private parts, et cetera, et cetera, and all these you know, strangers contacting the kids. I hope the online safety bill is really going to be punchy because what it has said is, if material is found on any particular platform and they don't take it down, having been told to take it down, then they can lose 10% fine of their annual income. Yeah. Imagine many billions that is. Can I, can, I, can I come in on that and say something on that? Before I do, you're listening to Marilyn Hawes, a friend of ours from Freedom From Abuse UK. Marilyn helps children and teachers and parents. She provides them with the tools to keep children safe online. Do support her, please. Freedom-abuse.uk Her work is excellent. Oh, no, so, org, org, why do I have that? Yeah, .org, excuse me. And, and I'll put the right um, uh, website address on the podcast notes. It's freedom-abuse.org, excuse me. And do support Marilyn. Look, here's the thing. I have a huge issue with the online safety bill. And I'll tell you why I do. Because I really don't think that politicians and governments really give a damn about children. And I think yeah. children is the excuse to really bring in a kind of unprecedented surveillance on, on, on the rest of us, on everybody, right? And one of the things they wanted to, to do is introduce the concept, concept of legal but harmful. And they're using children to bring this in, Marilyn, but ultimately it's going to be very problematic for somebody like me because I have conversations with academics on this programme, academics yeah. who might have a problem with vaccines, or, and these are proper academics. And I think it's people, look, I'm not being narcissistic, it isn't me specifically, but it's people like me who want to have these conversations. They will use the online safety bill to come after people like me. That's why I've got a big, pro I've no problem in principle with stopping uh, people from putting horrible material in front of the eyes of children, none whatsoever. But I think in the grand scheme of things, what they want to do is they want to basically sound the death knell for free speech. And, and I'm think, really worried I, about that. Yeah, that has been the sticking point. That has been the sticking point, and people have been uh, really pushing on that, which I totally understand, because I'm a big believer in real free speech that is sensible, as you say, talking you to academics, where you're not being silenced and blocked down and controlled. And I do understand exactly what you're saying there, because that is also a problem, because now WhatsApp that is encrypted, and this is the other thing that was part of the online safety bill, we, that they want to do away with encryption, because children can't be helped by the police if they're on whatsapp or signal or wire that's encrypted yeah um they can't because of all the locks and the, the locks and the blocks and the passwords if the if the children were infiltrated by somebody of ill intent the police can't help because they can't look back to see who it was that was sending them well the children shouldn't be on an encrypted site anyway so whose problem is that you know where's the overview from the parents 
it, it, and so WhatsApp has said, well, if you're going to take away the encryption, we're going to take away the license for UK people to use. Well, the children shouldn't be using it. No, they shouldn't. And I, I use WhatsApp because I, I need to because of the sensitive data I get on my phone. And I quite agree with you, Richie. You know, you, the, the police would recommend, I mean, the age specification is 14. I, I think, and I agree with the police, for safety measures, it should be 16 before they use it. You can be in your parents' group, you know, where your parents are overviewing it, no problem there. But setting up your own private WhatsApp group is where it's not safe. Now, I was asked to help a school up north. I did it online the other day where these children in year six had got together, opened up their own WhatsApp account and were severely bullying other children in their class as well as the parents. Now, they are 10 years old. They shouldn't be on WhatsApp. And, and this that's, is that's the thing. what's happening with all this stuff. They're sending what the kids, the boys call it dick pics, yeah? So they send a picture of their bits to their friend. They don't realize that anything, what does www mean? It means World Wide Web. They're the surprise. They do not think or even begin to imagine what lies behind these devices. The layers and layers of networking that goes around the world. You cannot save properly or guarantee or protect anything because the internet was never created for kids as a platform. It was created for military, for government, for corporations, and then along You're right. came surveillance. Richard Zuckerberg. Bang on. You're bang on. It was created for, ultimately for surveillance and for consumerism. It was yep. created to sell yep. more things to us and to keep us all in the same place at the same time. Let me just do another quick reminder. Marilyn's website, you're listening to a former teacher. She is an educator. It's freedom-abuse.org. Please do uh, support her. Um, two, two things that really do kind of upset me about this is that, like, I, I remember doing shows some years ago with the the paedophile haunters, right, who go online and find these guys. Yeah. And and there was a lot of men, some middle-aged men, some men in their 30s, maybe some in their 20s. But to hear from the police forces is that now many people, many of those who are looking for these images are under 18. I mean, that's terrible. It's terrible for a number yeah. of reasons. But number for, first thing is, sorry, Marilyn, well, well, these are geniuses. Right. You know, if you're under 18 and if you're, if you're a predator and you're under 18, um, you, you're going to be pretty. You're going to be pretty clued in about how to use these tools, aren't you? You're going to be more difficult to catch. Of course, yeah. They, they can get into. They, children don't. I say to them, "Do you know what's behind every image you create? Every picture, every message, everything." No. Well, there you go. Then it's metadata, and this is like a billion-dollar business. You just think of something like Tesco, or there are other stores, of course. You know, they've got they've got um. Uh, people that order the food, they've got the people on the tills, they've got the people that do the advertising. The paedophile community is no different. They have different forums down in the dark web where they have the specific likes. If they can find images of children and if they can hack in like friend requests, in they come. You've got another little department that is IT savvy people that hack into passwords. Your passwords should be at least 12 digits and numbers and symbols long. How many kids and how many adults don't have that? Yeah. They get in easy peasy, and you know, they can. You know, there's books they make available on the dark web once a month where these people that have hacked in to passwords work out what the most common ones are this month, so their little chums can buy that to save them time. You know, these children are 
our, our financial collateral be left in no doubt. Marilyn, can I ask you, how, how spooky is it when you hear a term like minor attracted person? That's pretty oh, disgusting, God, isn't it? Call it what it is. Who would want to introduce a term like that? Though? Who, who, who would want to try and normalise or well, make it acceptable? You have to wonder about them, don't you? Because this, have they got an interest in it themselves? Probably. Minor attractive persons. No, call it what it is. You're a paedophile. Minor attracted persons. What a load of tosh. I mean, I'm sorry, it really annoys me. And people like you who give people like me a platform to speak, I welcome because let me tell you, Rishi, you contacted me this morning. Not one headline news program, not one, not Sky, not BBC, not ITV, not Channel 4, no one featured this horrific article no. of these children watching child abuse images. I know and why, though. I know, I know why. I remember the. I remember earlier this year you spoke to um, Sky News Breakfast with Kay Borley and you were dropping, I hate to use these terms, but truth bombs, basically. You were, you were saying, look, this is the way it is. And they were very uncomfortable with that. They couldn't wait to get you off, I remember. Oh, they and, don't like me. They don't like me. Yeah. I can't help. And no, it's public service broadcasting, really. I mean, every parent in the country needs to hear this because you're not being hysterical. You, you've been doing this for years. I know that what you are saying is true. In fact, you've been vindicated more times this year than ever before by detective chief inspectors coming out and saying, yes, this is fucking going on. It's actually happening. It's it is happening. And I, yeah. I, you know, I've done this for over 20 years. I know my business inside out. I've made it everything I research and look into it, yeah? And I kid you not, but you know, I'm not being funny, Richie. The parents are responsible legally for the device they, and the communication of the device they buy their child. If you, and I know I have said this, the Inter Internet Watch Foundation agree with me. If, an, if a sex offender came to your front door tonight and said, hello, Mr. Brown, you know, I've been talking to Victoria on, on Instagram, you know, and I thought tonight I'd like to come and meet her in her bedroom. Is that all right? Well, you get a punch in the face and the police will come around. But if you let your children have their devices in their bedrooms without any monitoring from you, you are letting these creeps through the back door and into their bedrooms virtually. And Internet Watch Foundation says this, brilliant charity. I say it. And that's what's happening. And the parents are, are clueless. I, I, they're just not stepping up. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. Here's a question I meant to ask you before, but I, I, I don't think I ever did ask you. It, se <laughs> it seems to me that there are more child predators in society than, than ever. So I'd like to ask you this. Does anybody know? I mean, was there a time when child predators were an incredibly tiny minority? Is it something that's constantly on the increase? And if so, does anybody know why? Why is there so many people attracted? Jesus, let's call them what they are, as you said. Why are there so many paedophiles now compared to years well, ago? Or, or, or were they always there? You've got, well, they've always been there. But you've got, I mean, child abuse images were around 300 years ago and they were created on panes of glass. So it's gone around for centuries, yeah? But what, what, what gets me is you've got many more people living in the country coming from all sorts of cultures, all sorts of religions, all sorts of beliefs or not beliefs. Do you know what I mean? You've got such a mix now. Also, people are speaking out more. But at any one time online, wait for this, the police know there are 850,000 men and women, because don't forget women are as well, 
any time of day, every second of the day, that are posing a threat for children. Is that worldwide now? Well, this is just the UK. You're These kidding me. The UK. 850,000 people. Mother of online, Jesus Christ. 24-7. Not the same 850,000. No. It's a number that comes flooding in. Yeah. Now, the Internet Watch Foundation, now this has got worse. Uh, they did at the October of 2020, six months into lockdown, they did a project for one month in October and they wanted to find out and they employed 79 companies for a month to see if they could find how many people were trying to access images yeah, in the UK. Only three got back within that 31 days and they found 8.5 million attempts. What you're telling me is then that anybody listening to this programme tonight, it doesn't matter where they are in the country, there is a very good chance that there is a paedophile living on their street. Absolutely. By those numbers. Truly, Richie, I truly, there's a guy I know who um, I used to get like people's thumbs would squeak when I used to say, you all know a child abuser. And we do. We do. It's, It's it's a pandemic in its own right, but there's no blooming vaccine for it because the vaccine means you learn to identify them and nobody wants to. It's the elephant in the room until, of course, it's too late. Until it and happens to your you child. Listen, you know, this is... Um, People don't want to think the unthinkable. No, this is from Dean, who um, is a pal of mine. He's in Sheffield. He doesn't understand, understand parents who give the children the phone when they're so young. My boy is 10 says Dean. He's talking about his lad Grey. He's the only kid in his class who doesn't have one. Parents are failing the kids, in my opinion. The dark people have always been out there as a parent. Your sole job is to protect your child. But just before you come back on that, Marilyn, hasn't the state, hasn't there been a big shift in the last 10 to 20 years in terms of the perception of who is really responsible for the well-being of the child? Hasn't the state been encroaching time and time again on families, I, right? Yes. But in a negative think, way. Well, I, I just think the whole thing has become more and more over time. Where pet, I mean, there was a time, if you had a safeguarding chat in the school when I was deputy head, the hall would be full. People would turn out. People cared then. People were concerned about their kids. I don't don't understand it. It doesn't make any difference. You can be the poshest school in the land, and I've been to those schools, and they put on an evening for parents. I said, let's do it online because people can sit there with their onesies. They don't ever come out. You know, you get a handful of parents. What is wrong with them? And where is the responsibility? Where is the accountability? You push that child out into this goddamn world that is getting increasingly worse. You are accountable for that child to get it through to its young adult life. Yeah, I made my point very badly. I made my point very badly. I think that more and more and more over the years, the state has been taking responsibility for certain aspects of child protection or for, you know, for for control over the day-to-day life of a child, kind of taking it away from parents incrementally. Again, I haven't said it very well there, but you get the point I'm making. I do, I do get the point you're making, yeah. and I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 I think you're right. It's like with this online safety bill, all the parents will be going, oh, phew, that's, that's right. right, we don't have to do anything. Yeah. And yes, you do. You don't buy the phone in the first place or the iPad. And if you're going to buy an adult, you don't want to give your child a car 
at Christmas and say, here's, here's the keys. Yeah. You know, if you're, you wouldn't do it. They don't stop and think because they don't understand what's behind that screen. It's not a toy. And that's what really, really, really hurts me. They don't even do the basics. And, and you know, they don't even rock up for a free event. And it, it, it's just alarming. And, and the schools have to pick up on all the stuff that's going on. And if you've got, I've sent out to loads of schools today that children are watching child abuse images. This is, this is an, another horror story of an express train thundering down the track. And in about five years' time, people will go, oh, we should have done something about should have done something, like yeah. sexual exploitation. They, the government knew about these gangs 30 years ago and did absolutely nothing about it. And now that's another thing where we've got sexual abuse and all that. Embedded across our society, we have county line gangs, yeah? It's embedded. It's a business right across every length and breadth of this country. You won't get rid of it now because it's, it's embedded in there. Uh, and that is the problem. And even with all these things as well, though, uh, honestly, Richie, with this, I mean, still your child is going to be more at risk of the creepy uncle, granddad or whatever at Christmas in your living room. I even did a thing, you know, you're more likely, you're more likely still to be sexually abused from someone in your family or the next door neighbour. Is that and the statistics? Is that how is that how the, the statistics bear out? Is that right? Yeah, you're more likely from someone you know, yeah. But don't, don't confuse the fact that, you know, if you have been harmed online by some creep, the impact on your anxiety and mental health equals, equals because it's online and you never know when it's going to pop up again. It goes all the way around the internet and the wrong people find it and then you have this revenge porn, you have this doxing stuff going on. It is a nightmare. And I don't know who is going to... I mean, the teachers are already like, well, who's responsible in this? It's AI, the children watching all these images. I've said today, your schools had better check that your filters can block these sort of things, that, you know, you can block your children accessing AI to design child abuse images. How strong are your school filters? But the trouble is, you see, it's never going to happen to anyone, is it? It won't happen here. And I don't know if you listened to the uh, podcast and the thing on Panorama the other night with Nikki Campbell and the issues with um, the Edinburgh Academy and Fetty's School with all the abuse that went on there from that guy, Ian Wares, in yeah, South Africa. South Africa, you know? they want to get him back here, don't they? I mean, that, yeah. that, it's a horror story, but that still goes on. Abusers, paedophiles will work with children no better than a school because that's where most of them are and i like you to think marilyn I, I, I like to think that and i'm obviously wrong we've, we've only got two minutes left today i like to think that it's becoming more and more and more difficult for somebody who is known to be an abuser to get work with children whether it be coaching them in sports whether it be i don't know working in the scouts or whatever you know, I, I, I would like to think these days, and you're going to call me naive, but that the background checks are pretty stringent, I would have thought. So well, the thing is, though, you, you only get a bad DBS if you have actually been charged. So you could be, you know, up, the guy that abused my kids, he had a clean, well, he had a CRB check, his was clean. Nobody had ever reported it. He hadn't been charged. You know, that's where the, the, the thing is. It's, they're never charged. And out of every thousand cases that go to Crown Prosecution, only three go into court and get a conviction. 
I mean, it's shocking. It's alarming. And nobody is doing anything about it. You rightly said at the start of this programme, governments don't give a damn about kids. They don't. No. They don't. And, and that's what's the sh- And they don't understand the real importance of early year parenting because the children that have that early year trauma that go on and it's not managed properly and then they start getting twisted thoughts when they're 10, 11 years old and then that goes into you know secondary school as harmful sexualized behaviors. That's not looked at properly because people think, oh, they'll be going, they'll leave at 15, 16. You've got to have people that really understand what, what trauma looks like, what causes it, and whose fault is it? Trauma is caused. It, it can, in the first three years, the early year parenting is crucial. Does the government do anything? Do they help? Marilyn can be found online at freedom-abuse.org. Please support her. She's out there day and night educating children, teachers and parents about the dangers of these devices and how easy it is for people who would harm children. And they are legion, these people. 800,000 people. And she's out there doing it. Uh, there's very few like her. Marilyn Hawes, freedom-abuse.org. Listen, thanks for all you do. And um, Merry Christmas to you, Marilyn. Thank you. We get no funding because I'm too outspoken. People want you to be woke now and I won't do it. You won't do it, kid. It's good God bless you. And God Happy bless Christmas. you as well. Thanks, Marilyn. Um, Merry Christmas. Marilyn Hawes, former teacher. She is an educator. Freedom-abuse.org and got into this because her own children were abused by a teacher. Amazingly, she's an astonishing lady. Help if you can, freedom-abuse.org. And I do cross-reference this stuff, you know, these claims made by Marilyn. And they're all true. It's like this guy quoted by The Guardian today said, you know, it, it vindicates everything she's been saying for years. I remember when she was on Sky earlier this year and Kay Birdie just couldn't wait to get her off. Uh, there were people in the background telling her, get her off, you know, because she was laying it out as it is, you know. Imagine th- there could be nearly a million people. There are 67 million people living in this country. Imagine there could be 850,000 people trying to access these images. I mean, that... I, I, don't want to be, I don't want to believe that. I mean, that can't be right, can it? And yet, yet she, she's sourced this and provided source material to back it up on the website. How could there be that many? And I remember when I interviewed the paedophile hunter guys a few, quite a few years ago, one of the more well-known, I suppose, well, they were at the time anyway on, on Facebook. I can't remember the name of the group. And we did this conversation, and me being me, I was a bit of a dipstick early on. I wanted to have a go at them, you know. Not because, um, I mean, it's a, it's a strange position to find yourself in, wanting to have a go at paedophile hunters. But I'm not into vigilantism. I'm not into it at all. And I wanted to have a little pop at these guys, but they were very good, and they took it well, the stick I gave them. And then we settled into a good conversation. And they said, Richie, afterwards, they said, look, we'll, we'll show you one of our stings. We'll go online some night, they said, and we'll show you how the decoys work. So the decoys are people who go online as children to attract the perverts, the, paedo- the, the paedophiles. And the guy I spoke with, he said, Richie, within seconds, within seconds, you're dealing with a dozen or more. And if you leave it go on for a bit, you're dealing with two, three, four dozen men posing as children. Because they've got people looking into these, you know, screen names, as they would have been called and stuff, to see who's really behind this childish name and this childish image. Who's really there? It's mad shit, this, isn't it? I'm not a parent. Obviously. 
what would you say? I mean, fair play to Dean and to Pippa. Well done to Dean and to Pippa, by the way. But I mean, how do you say no to a kid if every child has got a phone? I'd be inclined to think, well, do you know what? I can probably set up the parental controls or, or I can insist that I'm in the room when he or she is on their device and talking to their friends. But then I'd, I'd want them to be out doing things, not sitting down. I'd want them to be out in the evenings. You know, you're going to karate lessons in the evenings or you're going to netball or handball or football or whatever rather than sitting in the bedroom on the computer or on the phone anyway. You're listening to the Richie Allen Show Monday's programme. With me, Richie Allen. Winter's on its way and so are colds, flu and other respiratory illness. <laughs> a robust immune system and vitamin D3 are your weapons in the fight to keep healthy when things get chilly. Immunex 365 vitamin capsules from NutraHealth 365 combine effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin to give your body that winter boost at just two capsules a day. Plus, for your peace of mind, all NutraHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Visit NutraHealth365.com now and get winter ready. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. Now, nearly three minutes past the hour, Nicola Lund is a friend of mine and she's a friend of yours. She's a lovely, lovely person, former teacher. She's a writer, you'll catch her, on her own Substack account, Nicola's, if you look her up online, but she writes for the Conservative Woman too. When I was teaching, Richie, and we had an inspection, the head of the inspection team was later prosecuted for having indecent images of children on his computer. I mean, Jesus wept like. This is the thing. I am naive. I must be naive. I just can't get my head round it. You know that? You know, I remember how, how innocent things were. When I was 15, 16... Even 17, you know, I was asked to look after an underage football team at Hibernians in Waterford, right? And I was given the job of looking after the under 10s and under 11s, which was lovely, right? Now, I didn't have any coaching qualifications, but I would train the kids during the week, a couple of times during the week, with my very decent knowledge of how to train you know you know I, I'm, I'm a football fan I know football I was never much of a player what I would do is I would I, w- I would ask players from the local professional team Waterford United as they were at the time it's Waterford FC now to come along and help out so I could pick up drills and stuff like anyway look the innocence of it like parents would just drop their kids off and just drive away and leave them with me and my assistant because I always had somebody helping me but I wised up you know I knew even then that um, it's a it's a vulnerable position, really. It's for 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 the children and for the coaches. So I began to insist that parents took it in turns to remain, not to just drive off and go for a pint, like, but to remain at the training centre and to be there, so that nobody could ever say, "Oh well, Richie was in the dressing room," or or Richie did this or did that. I was clever, you know, back then. But I suppose that was the time when we were hearing about all the clergy, uh, the clerical uh, sexual abuse. But but parents were just happy to say, yeah, Rich, we, we know Richie, Richie's all right. Now, of course, I was all right. But Jesus, they were very trusting. Five minutes past the hour. I'm going to take a tune. When we come back, Melissa Shumay will be on the programme. You don't want to miss her. It's been a while since we've had Melissa on the show. Yes, it is Monday, the 4th of December, and this is Steve Winwood.
That's the one. Yeah, higher love from Steve Winwood, the Richie Allen Show Monday's program. Uh, Sandy Adams is on the program tomorrow. I'm looking forward to speaking to Sandy Adams. That's tomorrow. It uh, should be interesting. Melissa is there, just having a, a tiny connectivity issue. It won't uh, be long before we get her on the line. It's a Monday. These things happen on a Monday. It's Murphy's Law. They've done. I've said before. They've done it all. They've tried everything. Uh, they've um, ac- academics have looked into it. Things happen on a Monday that do not happen any other day of the week. Uh, David Whelan will be on the programme later in the week as well. David has a book out, a brand new book about the death of John Lennon, the, the murder of John Lennon. I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to chat with David. He'll be on the programme this coming Thursday. It's a busy old week this week on your Richie Allen show. Let me just have a look and see what's going on there with uh, Melissa. We're due to speak on the old Skype there. But uh, it isn't happening thus far. We'll give it a moment and I'll read some of your messages. Thank you for them. Hi to Nelly, who says that paedophiles have been around for years by all accounts. It isn't anything new, sadly. No doubt about that, Nelly. It's the volume, though, that is... um, (laughs) It blows my mind, the volume of them. That's the thing, really. I get accused of being naive. It's just the volume of them. Like, if those numbers are right, there's no reason to doubt them. You really are looking at pretty much every street in the country. There will be a man or a woman, it's usually a man, and he will be sexually attracted to children. He will be a paedophile. And if he is, it means he's dangerous. He's a danger to the children in the neighbourhood. And most of these people will not be known. Grace Lee. Hi, Grace Lee. Love, Marilyn. Uh, Parents are lazy. It's all down to the parents, and the majority are lazy, she says. Had an online course with Marilyn last year, and I invited 20 friends to join me. Not one did. I messaged my child's school to recommend they invite Marilyn. No responses, Grace Lee. Thank you for that, Grace Lee. Lewis says, normal blokes like us cannot comprehend what these, and then he uses a very bad word, what these paedophiles get out of seeing naked children. They're a different breed, says Lewis. Yeah, it's unimaginable really, isn't it? It must be scary when parents, if they have children who are primary school age, and they hear these interviews or they read stories in The Guardian and then the child wants to go on a school trip maybe and it isn't a day trip maybe. I'm not saying day trips are any safer but maybe it's a a weekend trip, maybe it's a week-long trip. I went on a school tour when I was 14, so I did, which which lasted a week, St Paul's Community College in Waterford. We went on a European school tour for a week. We travelled through Germany and Switzerland predominantly and the Netherlands, and then came back to Ireland. And my parents, if we want to call them that, but the parents of my schoolmates, they took it as a given that we were safe. They took it for granted. Yes, as they're going with their teachers. Sure, they must be safe, you know. But that's that's a faith-based um, conclusion or determination, isn't it? It's faith-based isn't it just like? Um, Melissa tells me that she's ready to rock and roll. I love it. That's good news. The Monday Blues haven't won. We have defeated the Monday Blues. The Monday Blues nil. The Richie Allen Show won. I love it. Melissa's brilliant. She's an academic and financial investor. She's been pretty prophetic, she has, in the last couple of years, talking about where things are heading after the scam of 2020. Glad we've got her on. We've got a good 30, 35 minutes. We'll get through quite a bit. Melissa Shumay, welcome back to the Richie Allen Show. How are you? 
Thank you, Richard. Good Avion. I see you are as proficient with the technology as me. We should be in a club together. <laughs> <laughs> the two yeah. of us making useless I'm not saying you're useless at all I am it's usually me screwing up I'm not saying you screwed up at all but uh, listen welcome back it's good to have you on it's been a while and um, there's much we can get into in the 35 minutes we have um, look because it's a Monday we try and keep it somehow cheerful it's a basket case our island isn't it the things happening there at the moment um, the, the, the attack in Dublin last, last uh, Thursday uh, last Thursday week the reaction to that the demonization well, of people go on jump in well yeah it's uh, it was, it's very convenient because it's the problem reaction solutions so this has been a tinderbox for um what guts of two years now um they're strategically placing these um unvetted migrants um predominantly young males in smaller um villages in in ireland and there is no cultural assimilation and they're absolutely flooding the place. There's a lot of issues with crimes, with um, rapes. And now there's a lot of muddy waters around um, this latest one. But for me, it's quite convenient because the solution to all of this will be, um, you know what, we need to give everybody a digital ID. We need to find out who everybody is and move along. Um, with that. I don't think there's still any details about the child um, that was injured. And her condition. Um, yes, very good. Yeah, there's, so there's, again, very, very muddy waters. Also convenient that we're not allowed to talk about it. It's the censoring. So that has kind of everything from the pandemic era is just being layered upon everything else. So you're not allowed, so it's um, misinformation regarding um, the vaccines, which turned out to be actual facts aren't misinformation. And now that has been layered upon your racist, so it's hate speech. And then they're going to layer that upon economic misinformation because they really want to box you in that you can't protest and censor you, that you can't say anything for what's going to be coming up as the real um, problem, which is the global financial collapse yeah but um it's about time that people started recognizing in ireland i i don't think it's, it's very difficult to pull the racist card in ireland um so that what they've layered over everything else what they did with the george floyd issue in america they i think the globalist elite thought that they could just overlay that in ireland and that really doesn't work here but it will work um i would anticipate well the un has said that the digital ID has been by 2025 so they already have the public service cards and my guess is then that will be more intrinsically linked to a bi biometric ID um, to move forward so that would be my um, conspiracy regarding what happened and again it's it's just it's suspicious that we haven't heard anything about the child I think yet. you're pretty shrewd I don't think there's anything conspiratorial about it mm. Melissa I think that's pretty shrewd and on mm -hmm. that, I I've never been I've never been like yourself. Like you, you can read the terrain, and do the research, look at things that have happened, and then knit together what might be coming. That's your great specialty, right? I I like to listen to people like you. That's what I do. I'm a journalist. But on on this occasion, 
I've been thinking for the last couple of weeks, wouldn't it be perfect now leading up to Christmas or maybe in the very early New Year for a false flag event where a migrant is savagely attacked and, and killed so that then the media and the government could go into overdrive and talk about the racism and the far right and that would advance that you know, a little bit more. I, I'm reminded of um, Thomas Mayer, I think the guy's name was, the guy who's supposed to have murdered Joe Cox just before the Brexit referendum in 2016. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe Joe Cox was murdered, and I believe it's a terrible thing. Murder is terrible. But I'm not sure this guy did it. I, I, I still, this, I'm still very uneasy about this to this very day. And I think Ireland is ripe now for a big, big story about how a migrant, a poor migrant or a poor asylum seeker is murdered. I, I wonder, I wonder, will something like that happen? Would you expect it? I suppose. Oh, well, I mean, that's, that's what the tradition do. They, they create the problem um, and they encourage the reaction and they already have the, the whole problem was for the solution that they want to offer you and um, the solution, which is to further along an agenda. That's, that's always been the way the way of it and that COVID was absolutely perfect for furthering along an agenda. I am being met everywhere. Now with um we don't take cash card only, card only, card only. That didn't Me too. really exist. Um that it, yes in the Netherlands and Sweden, but it didn't exist here um prior to um COVID. But that very much um pushes along their agenda because it's purposes to get in um, a cashless society and monitor every aspect of your society because nobody actually asks well why why um central bank digital currency because we don't need it we have um a digital currency right now because we have a debt-based system because there is no money right now people think that there's money there is no money um debt um it's debt it's mostly debt and there is no real debt either it's an inflationary monetary system where um, in order to pay off the debt, they just create more create debt. more money, yeah. And what is the debt? The debt is um, a promise by the government um, backed by the future taxes of its citizens to the banks. And now it's time to cash in and you will see increasingly, um, I think, um, there was just another council that uh, filed a section 114, Nottingham City, um, after Birmingham. So effectively bankrupt, Nottingham City is uh, bankrupt. That's right, that's right. The second one. Yeah, you're right. Uh, well, we have no money. there's actually been quite a few. There's been... Sorry about um, that. You're right, you're right. No, no, the two yeah. most, most most commented on, on the media, but you're bang on. There's more than two. There's quite a yeah. few. Yeah. And right now about 25-30% are heading down that path. Um, and then you look at what has just come in with the um, new Department of Work and Pensions with their plan to, um, it's you know your customer of the bank. It's not that they're going to monitor the bank accounts of people on benefits. Um, it's going to be the duty of the bank to monitor the people on benefits and make sure that they are spending their benefits um, Accordingly, so as we said before, the potential of CBDC, they're already pushing that forward now before they move in to CBDC. I mean, they're not they're not really concerned of the people that were in the Panama Papers. No, it's the it's the people on 
from benefits that they're going to attack. And then that will filter up into the middle classes about how you're spending your money. So that's where we are right now, because the whole purpose of central bank digital currency, well, it's billed as to digitalize and decarbonize everything. So what does decarbonize everything? That's to move to a credits system for taxes. Um, it's the idea of um, virtue taxes, which will make it impossible for you to own anything and rent what you need. And all the evidence is showing that that's the direction that we are moving in. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, we, we've, we're just coming to the end of COP28. And uh, they've obviously talked quite a bit about carbon credits. They've talked yes. about personal carbon allowances. This is not the first time they've, they've spoken about that. The responsibility of the individual. We have people like Chris Packham, the naturalist, saying that he's going to sue the British government for not um, adhering to uh, promises it made to reduce the UK's own carbon footprint and to rush to net zero. I believe a bunch of Portuguese children are suing the Irish government and five other governments for not doing enough to stop climate change. And by not doing enough, it's causing heat waves in Portugal that are leading to forest fires in Portugal. So th there is a real maelstrom at the moment. This is really gathering pace now, isn't it? At the speed of light. And you know the last time you were on, you won't remember this because you do a lot, but the last time you were on, we talked about, because it was only very recently that the World Economic Forum guy at a conference said that he had canvassed lots and lots and lots of tech people, tech experts, and 93% of them said, within the next two years, we might have a catastrophic cyber attack. And we spoke briefly about that when you came on with me in the late spring. Is that going to be a major big deal in the next couple of years in terms of, you know, really putting a real dent in the, the financial collapse or ushering in the financial collapse? Will it begin with a big internet problem or a big cyber attack? Um, well, for me, there's two possibilities there. First of all, if there is a cyber attack, that would dictate that the actual the financial, it's held together. Everything has been financial, financialized. So the problem is there's too much debt. The world is too much debt and there's not enough growth to cover the debt. And there's a demographic issue um, in the, the most, uh, the Western world and in China. Um, so this Ponzi scheme of debt-based system can no longer be supported. So it is collapsing. So do they want to hide the collapse and move us into a control system masquerading as a financial system, which would be CBDC? Um, I would believe that they would have to do something like that because when debt fails, there isn't enough real world assets to back it up and people will realise they don't have a pension. Um, the government is anything, so therefore they can't help you out. And there's a grab to um, attain everything. In 2021, the IMF, World Bank, and Bank of International Settlements in 10 countries sim simulated an attack on the global financial system. So they're already prepping for that. It could be twofold, though, because how are they going to get you? Um, they can bully you into CBDC, but that's not ideal because that's when there's revolt. Um, the better way to do it is to... Um, encourage you into it. So these commercial banks, um, they're not safe. 
and your money's at risk from bail-ins, from cyber attacks. And while interest rates are through the roof, you're not getting any rate of interest from them. So why don't you come to us, the central bank, who have um, a limited balance sheet and we can protect you and we can give you a high rate of interest. Anybody with savings, um, they're already testing that out with um, short-term treasuries in America and people are buying the short-term treasuries rather than the long-term um, because they're safe and they're in the short-term. So all they have to do is layer that on to um, a central bank and who wouldn't move into a central bank and then to those in benefits. Um, all they have to do is roll out benefits um, on CBDC wallet and you'll get those amount of people. This would be like a, a Facebook tactic um, that works very well. And um, when Facebook would change one thing, people would be in uproar. But they learned that if they change, they want to change something, they'll roll it out to 5% of the users one month, 5% the next month, and again and again and again, until everybody has it, but they haven't had a chance to unite against their disdain of it. And that's, that's the system that works very well. So that's what I expect them to do. And um, the cyber attack could be just to create a little bit of, you know, bit of oh, panic. I'd rather have this safer, or it could be, okay, this is it. The financial system has collapsed as it, it did collapse in 2018. They can't keep on printing money. And um, the UK has, if you look at their, their current account, um, they have been um, spending more than they have for um, two decades. Decades now. It's decades, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So eventually that, you can no longer do that. And that's kind of when empires, empires tend to spend more than they need to and borrow more and produce less. Who and will make the decision, deal. Melissa? Who, who, I don't mean a name, I don't mean obviously a name, mm -hmm. But, you know, in theory, this printing money, inventing money out of thin air, in theory, it could go on forever, right? In theory. But you and I know it won't, that this is an enslavement agenda. So they're going to stop it at some stage. So who will make the decision mm -hmm. then? Which institution will say, right, no more, we're calling in the debt now. The UK has got to come to the table and start paying down its debt properly. So has the United States, so has France. Which institution is going to say enough's enough and pull the plug? Um, it would be, that would be the battle between BRICS then and the West, because if you, if you know that every currency is in a race to the bottom and the war is actually to find out who will come out on top. So who is going to be the forerunner in the CBDC. Well, who's further ahead in the CBDC and digital ID? It's the BRICS, Iran. Iran have, um, they have moved into full biometric ID. So they are ahead in that. So they could pull the plug at any second. And, but they're testing everything because if you did have a new system, even if you thought it was bulletproof, you really would need to roll it out in small scale and see where the, the flaws are. But for me, that and now obviously that's the BRICS versus the West, that's a layer. There's a layer above that and the, there's a layer above that. And who knows? We don't know and we'll never know who's at the top on the strings no. to all of this. But if we cut the strings down here, they have no power. We give them their power. Yeah, yeah, because it's a faith-based system. You're absolutely spot on. 
It's a, it really is. There's this huge interest. It's a religion. It's a religion. It's a religion. It's a religion. Melissa it only works because we believe in it. it. It's not amazing when you when you put it like that. It's so true. Melissa Shumay is our guest. You'll find her on Facebook. Enormous following there, and she posts regularly. She's on Twitter too. I will put those links on the podcast notes. Lewis says immigrants are being deported from Nordic countries, not for rape, sexual assault, or drug dealing. He says, but for anti-Israel hate speeches. That's Lewis. Thanks uh, for that, Lewis. Christine says, Richie, the mother of the child was interviewed by a newspaper. She said the child is on life support and still with us. Very weird terminology, in my opinion, says Christine. That's Christine in Limavadi in Derry, speaking about, uh, just mm. referring back to what Melissa said earlier. Alexandra says, I follow Melissa on Instagram. She's always spot on. I share her insightful posts with hope of getting people to understand what is happening. Thanks for that, Alexandra. And I really appreciate um, all your comments. There's, there's so many of them coming. I can't read all of these. There's so many of them coming in now. Yeah, and people are worried. Look, I, I'm, I know you're bored of answering the same questions, and I don't blame you if you are. You know, with people who've got a couple of grand in the bank, you know, and some people are lucky, some people have more. You know, they, they've not got it invested in anything, but they might have 15 or 20 grand in the bank. You know, they might be in their 50s. Kids are growing up and they've got 15, 20 grand. And when they hear this, Melissa, they, well, not to put too fine a point on it, they cack themselves. They're like, what's going to happen to my 15, 20 grand? What do I do with it? And I always tell them, listen, I'm not in any, I have no qualification, I have no right to tell you what to do with your money. But um, if you had 15 or 20 grand, Melissa, in the bank, what would you do with it? Well, it would depend why you have it in the bank. And people re- need to renegotiate what they use banking for because you should never use banking as a, in, in an inflationary system, which we have been in, even at 2%, you should never have long-term savings in the bank because you're at the mercy of inflation. So you're lo- losing um, 2%, at least 2% um, year on year. Right now, in, they're going to have to keep on printing, which means that inflation is going to continue I believe that inflation will continue in the um, inelastic goods, so food and fuel. Um, but there will be deflation in the bubbles that the banking, commercial banking system have created, particularly um, around property. So have you got money in to buy another, to buy something, or is it just long-term savings? If it's long-term savings, if you just want to outperform inflation, the number one hedge against inflation is precious metals, um, predominantly gold. But when gold goes up a little bit, silver goes up way more. It should definitely be part of your savings. Um, if you go to auctions, you can get um, a piece of jewellery that's not that much above scrap price. So you get to enjoy it and it's your savings. Um, anything that you think that you're going to need, um, I think that we're all getting that awareness that inflation is going to continue. Maybe consider um, paying off a little bit of your mortgage or holding it for your mortgage because we have had 14, um, I, I was telling people right at the start of this, getting a fixed rate um, mortgage because we've had 14, 14 rate hikes in 18 months yeah, um, right. with the Bank of England saying that they are not planning to pull back on that at all. So it might be worth, I don't think you should gamble with your home, so it might be worth paying off a little bit of that um, if you're coming to the end of your, because we t- we're 
a country that are on variable interest rates. So a lot of people now are starting to um, come to the end of that and try and renegotiate a long term fixed. That way, you know, you're safe. You know what you can do with and anything that um, is a real asset, because. Like I said, when debt fails, there isn't enough real world assets to back it up and people think that they have pensions. They don't. You don't have, if your pension is, there will there be stock allocations in your pension. Even people that think they have stocks, do you? Or yet, do you have an entitlement to the stocks? And entitlement's different than ownership. So when it falls down, they have changed the laws that they get everything. They know, they know that it's fallen. They're trying to do it with a veil over our eyes with these um, virtue and um, taxes, uh, virtue um, layering upon everything that you own. So you have to move to, you know, these heat pumps and everything just to get every last penny out of you. But it's about owning real assets. It's not about numbers on the screen. People need to start thinking about possession rather than the money in the bank. Because that's, what, that's what's real. You've answered Davy's question. Davy says he does have a sum of money invested. Um, it's his pension, to be fair. And he asks, should he get it out? But he hasn't said what. You've heard Melissa there talk about precious metals and silver increasing in price when gold increases in price. Melissa Shumay is our guest. She's an academic and an, and an investor. And it's been pretty accurate about the... Um, the, the trends really, geopolitical and economic trends since the outset of 2020. It's good to have Melissa back on the programme. Uh, thanks for your messages, by the way. Um, yeah, I suppose you, what you said to me, you've answered Davy's question already, really. It depends on what the pension is in. It depends on whether, um, who it's with, what, what it's in, really. I, I, mm -hmm. I, that's the thing, isn't it? How many people can actually say, yes, I know where my money is, well, people will tell you where my money, they, they tell you, yeah, I've got it with the Royal Bank of Scotland or I've got it with blah, blah, blah. But how much do they actually know about where that is being invested? Maybe a lot of people don't know where it's being invested. No, know. because we delegate away responsibility, but it is exhausting to take responsibility over yeah. everything. But we've delegated away our medical um, responsibility to ourselves, to pharmaceutical companies and doctors. And if you think, that you have dedicated you have delegated away to somebody who has trained for what seven years um in the pharmaceutical industry um maybe a class a day or two about uh diet and nutrition we've delegated away our pensions and and that is the biggest ponzi scheme and um, we've seen what happened under liz truss with the bonds that that's a house of cards that can crumble. So if you've seen that that happens with the bonds, that should there be a call, um, and BlackRock were behind that margin call, um, should there be a call that if they're invested in long-term bonds, was your pension? So in in a margin call, that money, if you mar it's all right. If it's market market, it doesn't exist it, right now. They can't get their money back. It's only at the very end that they can get their money back. So what do you think is going to happen in a housing collapse with commercial banks? BlackRock because is a very, they're, yeah. they're heavily, they're, they're the ones that have delegated the debt. So when people foreclose, it's going to crush banking again. What about those who say, well, because most of us don't have £90,000 in the bank. We just don't, right? So <laughs> for, for, for those of us that have 
a few grand in the bank for a rainy day, a couple of months rent or whatever. And the the banks tell us, you know, there's the government guarantee scheme. If the bank goes under, we're 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 guaranteed up to what is it, Melissa? Eighty grand, is it, or ninety, or something like that? It's hundred. I can't remember between the north and the south. Um, hundred and twenty-five. I think we're eighty-five, are we? Is it? Is that what it um, is? So we. So you don't. So we. Do, do you trust that? Do you say right? I've got thirty grand in the bank now, just in case listeners are wondering. Stop. Of okay. course I don't. But if 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 we have right, do we say well at least that's safe because if that bank goes under in the next two years, the government will give me back that money? Or am I being naive? Right. Well, first of all, it's it's insurance. But who's insuring the insurer? Because only about two percent of bank deposits are actually insured. Um, the FDIC in America come out and said basically there's going to be a run on the banks. Um, and People are going to lose out, um, but we don't want to spook them, but they will, because you're not actually insured. It's the same thing with car insurance. What would you think would happen if everybody crashed their car tomorrow? Could the insurance companies pay out? No, they wouldn't. You're no, right. it's to give you it's a psychological safety net with um, nothing under There's no net. It's you'll fall right through it. Speaking of Ponzi schemes, eh? Motor insurance. You shouldn't be saving... You should not. You should be saving your money in. Uh, you're saving your wealth in real assets, because money's always worth less. I Until, and, and now we're we're in a race to the bottom. If you think of the the pound and the dollar, well, they've lost ninety nine percent of their value since their creation. Is so, that right? And, and now with that, yep, that and now with that final phase where it's going to be um, a massive erosion of your purchasing power. Don't think in terms of numbers in a screen, because if, you're, if your wages are um, 30,000 a year, okay? And you have um, nice holidays, uh, a nice home, a nice car, um, money to go out and eat, um, would you be better off there than if you were earning 125,000 a year but you couldn't afford those things. It's a, it's always about purchasing power. Yeah, and that's the thing with gold. Gold will maintain its purchasing power. It has potential right now because of the amount of gold that China has. But if China would actually announce all their gold holdings, it, you want to talk about weaponizing currency, and um, that would destroy America. But they don't do that because it would also destroy do damage to gold. Yeah, it's supply and demand. Well, that's right. And then their own manufacturers then are down the biggest customer they have in the world, of course, aren't mm-hmm. they? This is the yeah. issue too. Melissa Shumay is our guest. It's already quarter to the top of the hour. And while all of that's happening then, or or while, while that's the prognosis, to get there, we're, we're looking at staged geopolitical events, which have real consequences mm-hmm. for people. You know, the, the, these are not fantasy, what, what some people believe are, um, you know, people say, oh, so you have a false flag event and then you have people who say, oh, well, that never happened, crisis actors. No, we're talking about real events that will be catastrophic for people, you know, proxy wars here and there, which, of course, what did they do, Melissa? We talked about this at the beginning of the Ukraine thing. We spoke then. They drive the prices of everything up again, devaluing your money even more. So so could could we see, my, my mate Jean Ann, a great friend of mine who follows you, she talked about Venezuela. Now, I know a lot about Venezuela and Central America and, and Southern, uh, South America, of course. And I know 
is that it was the World Bank and ultimately the neocons in the United States who wanted to punish Venezuela for well, for not playing ball, for not doing what the international community wanted it to do. So it imposed sanctions on the country, which destroyed its currency and you know led to deflation. Could we see that in Western democracies in the future? Could we see you know such deflation that nothing has any intrinsic monetary value at all? Is is that something that's realistic, or is that is that a fact? It, it it absolutely is because we have um, we've been under the wing of America, who has weaponized a currency, so they send out dollars and get back actual goods. And that's what the global fracturing is actually about, the unfairness of that system. There's been sanctions on Iran. Um, Iran are 13% of of, um, oil reserves. Um, So um, I think 4 or 5% of the global production. So um, there were some, I think the sanctions were going to be lifted. Did, um, but then Trump backed out of it. But let's see what happens then if Iran get further involved um, in what's going on with them being um, 30% of global reserves. Energy is the economy. I said this very early on. It's a strategic shutdown of the economy. So they shut down this, uh, the small to medium businesses, then they um, they give them very little money. The ones that manage to survive open back up and they enforced all of these. You have to get um, these barriers and all of these rules that it was expensive. And then those that survived, they started to put up interest rates. And a lot of them are so used to these incredibly low interest rates, which they, they have been for, I think, um, in the last 10 years, the highest was 0.75 percent yeah so we're used to these incredibly low interest rates so they're rising that along with that their fuel bill is rising so every item that they get if it's just a supermarket everything that they get there it has to be transported to there it has to be produced all of that takes energy so that's energy increase is the last attack at them and the goal is to wipe out these small to medium businesses and move back into a feudal system. Like I say, it's a central bank control system masquerading as a financial system where you will be given credits. This is their solution to what is happening right now with the global currency because when America feels as reserve currency, everything feels because they're all attached to the dollar. So that's why BRICS have fractured off. Um, I would expect them within the next few years um, to announce, you know, their own currency. They already are trading in um, yuan, and so they're moving away from the petrodollar. But like I say, the level above that, just like every, it's the lockstep, just like every country was in lockstep with the pandemic response, every country is in lockstep with um, digital ID and CBDC. Everyone the reason for the um, the BAS research, it was like a, a McKinsey, Re- McKinsey & Co. report in uh, 2019. It was used by lots of think tanks, including the Bank of International Settlements. But their research found that the voluntary adoption of CBDC would be between 4 to 
So they knew that people wouldn't accept it. And coincidentally, Stefan Aldrich, at the, he's the president of pharmaceuticals at Bayer, said at the World Health Summit that two years prior to the pandemic, 95% of people would have said no to gene therapy. So again, only 5% uptake for both. So it, it does seem like a test. Can we get, how can we get what would have been 5% of people moved to 80% of people to take part in a gene therapy clinical trial? And how can we move 4 to 12% of people who would adopt CBDC to 80% because 80% that's your critical mass. So it's there. There's another coincidence, interesting coincidence that um, following the 2008 financial collapse, uh, the WEF, the Davos, um, 2011, said it would require 100 trillion to bail out um, to resolve the banking sector issues. So that was the figure that they put. So 100 trillion to resolve banking after the 2008 collapse. At COP26. Um, which was the one that they really went for, especially Rishi Sunak. Janet Yellen, the former head of the Fed and current US Treasury Secretary, comes up with that exact same figure to solve climate change. It's about solving banking. It's always a banking issue. But right now, there can't be a bailout. Um, too big to fail is about to move into too big to bailout. So instead, it's going to be a bail-in to CBDC. That's the solution. And maybe a bail-in to everybody's um, bank accounts. Ed Conway from the from the Times and also Sky News' financial editor. Back in 2020, he wrote an opinion piece for the Times where he recommended that the government should bail in without giving people any advance warning, just do it overnight, take a certain amount off of everybody. And that was to pay for covid how nice of Ed at the time. We've, we've got about three minutes left today. Thanks for coming back. I always enjoy chatting with you. You should come back more often. As grim as it is, you, <laughs> make, you make it sound bloody interesting. So fair play to you for that. Melissa is an investor and an academic. You'll find her on Facebook. I know you know her, but I will put, obviously, links on the podcast notes. In two and a half minutes now, you should be well used to this now. You're, you're, you're three quarters of a broadcaster these days. Um, <laughs> I don't like Bitcoin or any of these things. I, I always felt 10 years ago that these were like a Trojan horse way of getting people in, thinking about cashless. Now, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not dogmatic about it. So listeners are asking me again. I know you've answered this too many times as well. Um, what do you think in two minutes? What do you think of Bitcoin and others like it? I think that it came out 2009 after the 2008 collapse um, as the possible solution, but they needed to get really clever people on board to solve and evolve all these blockchain issues because the goal is to blockchain everything. The BIS want all of your assets on the digital wallet. They want full control over absolutely everything that you own. With Bitcoin, that was the first. Then there was all of the other ones, the multiple um blockchain coins and all the different coins that solved all of their issues. And right now they have started to close the on-ramps. Um, so you can't um, you go from your bank account, account to some of the exchanges. You're limited in what you can put into them. Um, it's, they haven't closed the off-ramps because I believe that there's that much floating about, uh, you know, digital money or whatever, um, that 
people would start to use it as a currency. If I was the creator of Bitcoin, first thing that I would do if I wanted to create a currency rather than the store of wealth, because that's all it is right now, it's um, a speculative asset that's a store of wealth, I would have put um, expiry dates on it because that would have forced it to um, function as a currency. But they don't have to close the off ramps. All they have to do, if, if they do, it could be pushed back. All they have to do is tax you at 95% when you go to put that back into your bank. Yeah. And it's game over because people aren't, if I had my car for sale in Bitcoin right now, I'm a very limited audience. Brilliant answer. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I don't have your understanding of it, but that's pretty much how I felt about it. Thanks for your time today, Melissa. I know you're busy. Um, come back very early in the new year for a big chat, will you? Because Absolutely. Uh, no, do, because there were a lot of questions there and there are questions you will be able to answer. be nice to do a Q&A next time. And all that's left for me to say is thanks once again. And listen, Merry Christmas to you and yours. Same to you. And keep up the great work. Thanks, Melissa. You'll find Melissa on Twitter and on Facebook. I know you know that. She is Melissa Shume. She's a very bright lady. She's an investor and an academic. And God, she's been pretty accurate since uh, we first met her back in 2020, talking about where they're taking this whole Great Reset Agenda 2030, where they're taking it next. Thanks to Melissa. That's it for the programme. Thanks also to Marilyn Hawes uh, for her... Um, um, Company in the first hour, brilliant lady. And do support Marilyn if you can, freedom-abuse.org. I'm going to love you and leave you back with you. There is a podcast now in the mornings. It's called The Papers. That'll be online tomorrow. It's a podcast. But I'll be back tomorrow at four o'clock with the Richie Allen Show live. And Sandy Adams will be among the guests tomorrow. It's like Ladies Week at the Richie Allen Show. Do you like that? It's like Ladies Week. Nothing wrong with that, I say. Nothing wrong with that. Right, thank you for listening and for all your messages. Until tomorrow, it's Sloan Gafol or Sloan Tommel. Closing out with Bonio. This is pre-corruption Bonio. <laughs> Don't think I've ever played this on the Richie Allen Show. This is With or Without You. Bye for now. Bye.